It's the Rule Breaker Investing Podcast with Motley Fool co-founder David Gardner. Welcome back to Rule Breaker Investing. I'm David Gardner. And March is, say it with me, yes, March is Risk Month. And we are going to conclude our series on risk with this episode of Rule Breaker Investing. I have laid the track, I've laid the groundwork for today's podcast. We have gone over what risk ratings are at The Motley Fool. We've talked about how we come up with them. I've explained that it's a 25-point scale. And two podcasts ago, I took you through risk rating points number 1 to 10. We used our two example companies, Carter's and Virgin America. And then last week, I took you through numbers 11 to 20. There are 25 points overall, which means this week will be a little bit quicker. And this will be Points number 21 to 25, and some concluding thoughts. I think some important concluding thoughts about risk ratings. In fact, an interesting revelation or two awaits us at the end. If you don't have time for anything else today, just skip to the end because there's some key points there. But why would you skip to the end when we have this time together each week? And in this case, we'll be going through 21 to 25. You want to feel like you've closed the loop on this system. And this is, I think, going to be one of those series that I'm pointing to a year from now saying, hey, go back and listen to this for new listeners because we've been pretty thoroughgoing. And uh, that's going to all come to an end today as we close out uh, risk ratings in Rule Breakers and Stock Advisor. Okay. And just before we start with number 21, I do want to mention one special note. This Friday, there's going to be a bonus episode of our Market Foolery podcast. Now, I know that there are a lot of Market Foolery fans out there. I'm a Market Foolery fan, too. And with Chris Hill and the team, um, I got to be on this podcast, so I'm one of the people on it. We've got something fun that we're announcing, so I hope you're going to tune in to Market Foolery uh, this Friday. Oh, and by the way, I want to mention that I'm going to be away spring break the week of our mailbag, which means we're going to tape it early. Therefore, if you'd like to be in this month's mailbag, we urge you to let us know right away. So, in the next 48 hours or so, because I'll be taping later this week, if you have any thoughts or questions for Rule Breaker Investing, the podcast, just tweet us at RBI Podcast or email us at RBI at fool.com. Those are the two ways always to reach us for Rule Breaker Investing and for Mailbag. So, get your questions and thoughts in. All right. Number 21. That's risk rating question number 21. We entitled this one Immaculate. Is this company fault-free and fraud-free in all its corporate statements and deeds? Is this company is is any company fault-free and fraud-free in all its corporate statements and deeds? Is is any company fault-free in all its deeds? This was an intentionally written question to create a plus one for every company that you and I ever look at. Because as we developed the system, I started to realize, you know, here's a potential problem. If any company gets a yes to every single question, what will its score be? And the answer, as I think you know by now, is it will be a zero. And does that message really translate? Does that send the right message to the world that any stock or company has no risk associated with it at all? And of course, the answer is no. So, because I was the one helping devise the system, and I like to think in simple numerical terms, 
That plus one works until or if you ever get into a situation where you never have a plus one for something and you tell the world it has a zero risk rating. So this is the rigged question in our system. I'm glad that I'm letting you in on the secret here in podcast number three. Closing out this series, you need to know that nothing is immaculate. We are all human. We are imperfect especially our companies, and uh, and there could always be mistakes. Sometimes, mostly, I would say, unintentional mistakes. There are a lot of companies, mine, my own included, where we have a good heart for what we're doing, we're trying to do our best, but we make mistakes. Uh, then there are the cases where there is fraud involved, and I've picked some of those stocks, too, I'm sorry, whether it's Satyam Computer Systems, which um, five or ten years ago was a major player as the sort of number one Indian software outsource company. So, something like at least half of the Fortune 500 were using Satyam for software development offshore in India. It was all real. It was, I presume, good software development. That's why some of the most esteemed names in the United States of America were using Satyam to do some of the software work. Here was the problem. The management team was cooking the books. And so, what looked to be big sales and lots of profits, as it turns out, were a fair amount of sales and no real profits. And that stock declined on my watch, under my advisement at Motley Fool Stock Advisor, more than about 90%. One of my very worst picks of all time. Similarly, not quite as fraudulent, but similarly poorly managed and motivated was Krispy Kreme. Uh, those of you who are longtime Stock Advisor members might remember that we lost about 90%. Somehow, managed to lose about 90% of our investment on donuts. And a long-time, well-branded company still alive today. Uh, mismanagement at the CEO level on down. So sometimes, even though we've asked all our questions and we've done our best research, you will be simply flat-out shocked or disappointed by what your company's done. Sometimes we're shocked or disappointed by what our own family members have done or our friends. Life is full of surprises. I'm happy to say, I hope most of them are are good surprises, but you just never know. And so, Immaculate, number 21, makes that point. I hope it drives it home and ensures that Motley Fool risk ratings always are at least a 1. Number 22. Number 22 is labeled you, as in Y-O-U-U. Here's the question. Do you want to know more about this company? Are you willing to dig deeper, learn more, and ask questions on the discussion boards of The Motley Fool in order to actively understand this company. So, if you're already getting a sense that some of our final questions here are sort of the meta-game, I've taken you through questions about the company, questions about the management, questions about the financials, and the competitive set. All of these things, really kind of 101, investing 101 kinds of questions. Here, we're getting into some of the the metagame of how we think at The Motley Fool. And one of the things that I think is that your risky stock might be my safe stock, and vice versa. It's not always just about the objective thing that's separate from you and me, the stock where risk resides, is it? It's often in our own hearts and minds. And if we're not studying something or not as interested in that thing, then it's riskier for us. So, for example, when I talk about Carter's uh, or Virgin America, is either of those companies one that appeals to you, one that you would personally, to use our language again, be willing to dig deeper, to learn more, to ask questions about? Or is either of those businesses or any other that you're looking at 
something that you would say no to that. No, I'm not willing to dig deeper or learn more. I'm just not that interested, or I don't know much about that company or industry, and it and I don't feel positive energy toward wanting to do more of that research. And so, this is a really important question that's solely focused not on the company, but on you and me. And I tend to answer yes to most of the companies that I look at, and really all of the companies I recommend, because if I'm not motivated to learn more, then it is riskier for me, and probably I'm not going to do as good a job as a stock picker or as an advisor here at The Motley Fool. But even within my yeses, there are some really strong yeses, like, yes, I love this company. Like, let's see. Activision Blizzard, a video game company. I love video games, and I love their video games, and I also love Netflix, and lots of other companies that I can answer a really strong yes to. And then there are the lighter yeses. And I would say both Carter's and Virgin America, for me personally, are lighter yeses. Yes, I am interested in in apparel, and I think focusing on the babies and toddlers market is, is really pretty cool and a great niche. And I like to learn about the corporate history here. But am I a real shopper myself? Not as much for this company. I was back in the day. Uh, Virgin, Mer- Virgin America, I-, I like the brand. I enjoy the experience being on the airlines. I'm definitely motivated to learn more about it. Am I looking to be an airline industry expert? No. And I think my stock picking record will show that. So even within the yeses, there are relative strong or weak yeses. Anyway, I think you get the point. So now we can answer both of these questions for Carter's and Virgin America. I think you already did it and know it for number 21. Are these companies immaculate? The answer is no and no. Respectively, Carter's and Virgin America, they are human. They are probably not fault-free. And number 22, only you can answer. But for us, we answer yes to both of these. So we don't need to add any pluses for these two companies. But if you don't feel that interested in either or both of them, then you should give it a no and score your risk accordingly. And now we get into numbers 23 and 24. And here again, we're being creative and doing something a little bit different. And I hope you'll get this. I think you will. So each of these two questions is specifically about the company itself. And it's freshly written by you or me or our analyst, and you're you're simply encouraged to ask and answer the most insightful question that you can come up with when assessing this specific company's risk. I'm going to take you through Carter's and Virgin America in a second, but so number 23 is about this company, number one, and number 24 is about this company, number two, and again, you are literally asking the first and second most insightful questions you personally can come up with when thinking about this particular company's risk. I hope you can see why we devised these questions as number 23 and 24. We wanted at least a few of the questions to be unique to each of the companies that we're looking at. Every company is different, even operating within the same industry. There are whole different dynamics to companies. How old are they? How well managed? Uh, Who's got a brand? Who doesn't? A lot of these questions, everything is unique. And so, this part of our system embraces the idea that there are two important questions that you could only ask of this or that company. So, I will now take you through the ones for Carter's. I'll do 23 and 24 at the same time. For Carter's, our analyst's most insightful question was this, and I quote, has the company's online sales growth been outpacing total retail sales growth." End quote. And that was written in 2015. It might have changed since then. As I mentioned, over the course of the series, we're using slightly dated info, but mostly current. Uh, so, here was the answer to that question. The answer to that question is yes. Uh, 
Um, as e-commerce continues to be an opportunity for Carter's, the results are proving that management can execute. Last quarter, our analyst wrote, retail sales grew 12%, while e-commerce sales increased a solid 14%. So, yes, online sales, deemed to be an important part of Carter's future and a risk factor, are outpacing regular sales. And then, number 24, the second most insightful question, our analyst, in this case, it's Jim Mueller, for those who know Jim's work at Motley Fool Stock Advisor. Jim's second question was this, quote, is the company taking steps to capitalize on potential sales in emerging markets? Close quote. And the answer to this one is yes. Um, Early in 2015, Again, this was written later in 2015. Looking back at that quarter, the company had opened a store in Riyadh. That's right, in Saudi Arabia, the ninth store Carter's has in Saudi Arabia. Just one example. So, international sales, China, etc., even places like Saudi Arabia, an important part of the Carter's mix. And so, Carter's gets a yes and a yes for both of these questions, keeping its risk rating at just four as we enter the final question. And now I want to briefly, before I go to Virgin America, just opine and observe, I should say, one thing about asking these questions and answering them. Because I'm hoping you'll try these at home with the company you're looking at. And I hope you can realize that what you're really able to do here is you're able to phrase the question any which way you'd like, which means you can essentially make the question say yes or no based on simply on how you've written it. For example, Jim could have written that in such a way, that question about potential sales in emerging markets, that he answered it as a no, even still making the same point and providing the same facts. The question that you ask and how you phrase it sets yourself up to answer yes or no. Now, that might sound like a little bit of a rigged game. You mean I can simply ask it in such a way that I could give it a yes and keep it safer looking? And the answer is, yes, you could do that. We designed these questions not just for you to ask and answer the best questions you could about this company in assessing its unique risk, but further, looking over the number that you're seeing for this company as you become an experienced person doing and using this system. You might feel like at this stage, gee whiz, Carter's, you might think, is really a pretty safe company. And a four at this stage is pretty appropriate for it. So, you know what? I'm going to make sure it stays as safe as I think it is, by making sure the questions answer with yes. On the other hand, if you felt that Carter's was riskier than that, and you wanted it to be a 5 or a 6, you could simply set up these questions so that they would be answered no. And so, this is, again, part of the creative process, but also using some of the wisdom that you gain, the pattern recognition you gain as an analyst over time, you can start nudging these scores up to two points either way, right? So there's a plus or minus two that you control directly when you create a risk rating for a company. And it allows you to notice nuance and put something at sort of the number where you feel it should be. Uh, you don't have mass control over the system. There are 23 other questions you're going to have to answer yes or no based on the question. But this one is really your opportunity to add some intelligence of your own. And now to Virgin America, numbers 23. And 24. The best question that our analysts, in this case it's Tim Byers, those who know Tim's work in Motley Fool Rule Breakers, he's the one who's been doing the work here that I've been sharing with you these last few podcasts. Tim asks of Virgin America his best question he could come up with in 2015 was Can Virgin America grow sustainably even as it faces increased competition on popular routes? 
That was Tim's question, and he gave that company and that answer a no. Tim wrote, We're being conservative here because we just can't know for sure. The forthcoming Boeing 737 MAX and the A320neo should allow more discount carriers to fly to Hawaii and other overwater destinations, which have traditionally been the domain of legacy carriers. Virgin America must set itself apart in order to win and keep customers. So, Tim's being conservative, and he gave them a no in terms of being able to grow sustainably as it faces increased competition. Uh, obviously, the reason we recommend the stock is we think this is just one factor in thinking about the stock, but no and plus one for Virgin America for question number 23. Question number 24, can investors be assured that Virgin America will produce long-term profits and, in the process, market-beating returns? That was Tim's question about Virgin America stock, and to that question, he gave the answer, no. He wrote, again, we're playing it safe. We're watching for incremental fare increases from enhanced services such as fast in-flight Wi-Fi, as well as larger buys as passengers agree to fly longer distances with Virgin America. The company's all-Airbus fleet should help keep maintenance costs in check in the meantime. But again, he wrote, can investors be assured that Virgin America will produce long-term profits and beat the market? And he wrote, no, which sounds right, because I don't think we can be assured of much, especially in the airline industry. So, in so doing, and asking himself two questions, that produced no's, Tim ratcheted up the risk rating to the level that he felt was appropriate. Again, those were his two best questions if we talk to him today. And you can join the Motley Fool Rule Breakers and come right to our discussion board on Virgin America and ask Tim whether he has new questions in mind today. Um, but if he, if he were updating this for 2016, he might come up with the same questions again, or maybe even better questions in light of where we are now in March 2016. All right, so we've now set the stage for the final question. And if you're getting an anticlimactic feeling, you're right to feel so, because we don't actually have any real drama at the end of our risk rating surveys. In fact, I would say the real fireworks of the grand finale here were questions 23 and 24, not just for the creativity and the interest and the extra effort that they require of the analysts, but also for the colorful variety that we get in those questions and the ability to move up or down the risk ratings. So, here comes number 25. And if it sounds somewhat like the immaculate number 21 question, you would be right in observing such. Number 25 we call bulletproof. Are you certain this company is invulnerable to external world or macroeconomic events such that you're sure you can get all your capital back? Now, the answer to that question in every risk rating we've run so far in Motley Fool history is no. And it's kind of another way of ensuring that we we have a minimum risk rating, I guess, not just zero, but maybe even above one. Now, it's certainly possible that you or I, for a given company, might answer in either the case of number 21 immaculate or number 25 bulletproof, yes. But I would submit it's very, very, very unlikely. So, there could be some far-flung day where we do actually give a yes to some company for some reason. But the reason we wrote this one up is not just to kind of add another plus one to the risk ratings and bulk them up a little bit and have them start at two, but really to remind the risk rater and the student of investing and anybody running the system that even though you may have picked a great stock, that 
matches up with most of the good stuff we're looking for as investors. And even though that company may be doing everything right, unfortunately, there are factors well outside the control of every employee of that company, every customer of that company. You never quite know what can change macroeconomically or in terms of world events so that it would be possible, despite having made a great call and invested well, to still lose a substantial portion of your capital that you never get back. That's why we call it Bulletproof. We don't really think anything is bulletproof. And we encourage you as an investor to recognize outside of the company and the industry itself that there are factors external to those that could mess with our profits as investors. So, I hope you get the point, and I hope you'll also agree with me. It's kind of an anticlimactic way to end risk ratings. But before I do end, I do want to tally up and give the final scores. I've talked about these repeatedly through the series, but if you've done the math with me, Carter's today received two more no's, and I bet you can remember which they were, immaculate and bulletproof. Carter's, in our esteem, is neither, and that puts Carter's at a final risk rating of 5, which is quite low on the overall risk scale. And if you're keeping score at home, or while jogging, or with the kids in the car, then you'll possibly know or have noticed that Virgin America got four no's today. The only yes it got was our yes on the, do we want to know more about this company? We give that a yes. But all four others have dinged Virgin America, pushing its risk rating up, as we conclude, to 12. Significantly riskier than Carter's. And now, a few concluding points. First, I hope you'll now recognize that when I did, on February 10th, my Five Stocks to Feed the Bear podcast, which got pretty good response overall, and we picked five stocks there during a really dark time for the stock market. Um, I hope you'll now, if you were to go back and listen to it, you'll recognize I was talking actively about risk ratings during that week's podcast. In fact, I was saying we've pulled stocks that are only fives or sixes as I put this list of five stocks together for you. And so, now you'll see that they were more like Carter's than like Virgin America as I was thinking through them and picking them. And, as it turns out, Carter's was one of those five. And, just for the fun of it, we're taping the afternoon of Tuesday, March 15th, just a day before this podcast goes out. The stock market is up 8% since then. Um, Our worst performer of those five is Planet Fitness. It's up 5%, so it's three percentage points under the market. Rats. Um, Second worst is IPG Photonics. It's up 8% as well, so it's even with the market. So, the the news is going to get better from here. Our third best was Carter's. Carter's is up 18% since we since I put that stock out there as a good stock in this bear market. Um, it's up 18%, 10 percentage points ahead of the market. And then the two stars, Mercado Libre, up 29%, and LMA up 33%. So, if you do the math on that little five-stock portfolio we, we created together some six weeks ago or so, we've gotten outstanding results. Rarely do we have six weeks where we could expect a few of our stocks to go up more than 30% or so, but that's kind of how the market's done. It's bounced back significantly, up 8%, about what it makes in a typical year in just the last six weeks. So, that's it's fun now to look back on that, and I hope you can now appreciate a little bit more what I was doing there. I was intentionally trying to pick stocks that were less risky, but I, as you'll also recall, I was picking smaller cap stocks, which typically snap back because they get knocked down more in down markets. So, I was picking stocks that I thought might snap back higher. We'll see how it really plays out. Six weeks doesn't matter that much to me. It's still fun to keep score. And finally, a last thought, and this is maybe a new insight for me, a 
potentially developing insight that I'm going to share with you. This is really the first time I've talked about this. Uh, so, there's a potentially surprising insight coming from this work on risk ratings. And it first came to my attention when a Motley Fool member named Tom Rooney, TP Rooney 3, on the Motley Fool discussion boards, a member of Stock Advisor, posted his own look at risk ratings and how they'd performed. He was just looking since 2002 at our scorecard of Stock Advisor picks, and he was looking at risk ratings, which we've been doing for some years, and he said, for stocks held at least five years, what are the chances that each of them would be beating the S&P 500 with that stock today, given its risk rating? So, what are the chances that for at least five years, you'd be ahead, given different levels of risk rating? And this is, again, one member. We're not backing this up with deep data. I haven't even gone back over this, these numbers myself. Um, but I also appreciate the extra work, and I wanted to share it with you. So, Tom Rooney's work reveals that for stocks that were 13 or higher, 0% were beating the S&P 500. By the way, this is not every stock we've picked. These are Stock Advisor stocks that have been held for a while. And uh, so, please don't think that anything 13 plus is poison in Stock Advisor, Rule Breakers, or anything else we do. But for this study and what he was doing, ironically, during, I would say, also kind of a bear market, like not a great time, late 2015, a lot of my kinds of, especially some of my riskier stocks, had just had a really bad year. Uh, so, there's probably some uh, bias, just the time frame that's being picked. But from there, Let's go to the very best performing group. And the very best performing group were stocks that had a risk rating of four to five. That's right, 86% of those were beating the SP 500. And if you care, um, the six to sevens were 47%, the eight to nines were 70%, and the 10 to 11s were 59%. So kind of a mix, but more beating the market than not in the single digits. But the very best group were the fours and fives. Now, I want to hasten to add that the risk rating system was not devised at all for the purpose of trying to assess what will beat the market or not. As Tom Rooney mentions in his study, he's not actually looking at by how much you beat the market. It's just, did the stock, yes or no, binary question, beat the market or not? So, if you were to actually add in the different returns, you might see that you'd really want to own this group, not that group, because the winners might have won by so much that they wipe out the losers. So, this is only looking at just the chance of a stock beating the market. But given that, and given my own intuition, there's a possibility that risk ratings over time might not just be measuring risk, but might actually help you and me do a better job identifying which stocks that we might buy are more likely not just to not lose us money, which is how I defined risk two podcasts ago, a substantial amount of our capital held over the long term, but instead potentially to help guide us to the stocks that are more likely than not to beat the market averages. So, there's a final thought and a bonus to this work that I've shared with you over the last three weeks. The possibility that this might even be aiding you to finding next year's market winners. All right, I want to thank you very much for bearing with me throughout this series. You know, my general goal for our podcast is to be kind of like 15 to 20 minutes. For the last three weeks, we've been running more like 25 plus minutes because it's a deeper system. It's longer form audio. I hope you've enjoyed it. I've certainly enjoyed presenting this to you, and we've gotten some really nice comments on Twitter, which I always appreciate and some good reviews too. Thank you very much. So, thus concludes our risk ratings. I declare the rest of March risk-free. In fact, next week, we'll be coming back with Greatest Quotes, Volume 2, which I'm really looking forward to do. I shared Greatest Quotes, Volume 1, 
uh, some months ago. So it's time to bring the second one back in that series. And I should just mention, in closing again, we'll be taping our mailbag episode this week. So if you want to be included in mailbag with a thought or a question, remember to tweet us or email us. In the meantime, I hope you have a wonderful and relatively risk-free week. Full on. As always, people on this program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. Learn more about Rulebreaker Investing at rbi.fool.com. 